Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show. It is episode number 23. It is. It is. And a little later, our guest is Alison Morgan, A.B. Morgan, whose next edition or next chapter, I suppose, of the Quirk Files, Throttled, is out this Tuesday. So we're looking forward to speaking to her. And in fact, a confession, it's the second time we've spoken to her in a week because Muggins here lost the original interview. Uh, we'll gloss over that. Uh, never... <laughs> Let's just say our morning plans changed very dramatically from a nice lazy morning reading and drinking coffee <laughs> to recording. Yeah, yeah, to recording and then putting this podcast together. So it's a bit of a scramble. Hey, anyway, what is the Hobcast? Well, it's from Hobet Books. And my name is Adrian Hobart. And my name is Rebecca Collins. Together, Hobet Books, well, we publish the following genres. <laughs> Thrillers. Crime. Mystery. Suspense. I was trying to do a revving motorbike in honour of uh, throttled. Uh, yeah, well, you nearly got there. It's a sort of Maybe more, a moped. It's more of a more of a 25cc moped, yeah. <laughs> Which was on the topic of discussion this week because uh, your middle son is thinking about going to sixth form college some 20-odd miles away and needs wheels. <laughs> he, he got very excited very quickly. So we went out for a meal and we were chatting about his options for sixth form and... He, he would really like to go to uh, Sixth Form College in Shrewsbury, which, like you say, is about 20 minutes away. And we said, well, when you learn to drive, it's, you know, it's very doable. But before then, and we came up with the idea of, of putting him on a little moped. <laughs> His eyes lit up and he even started so, looking them up on the internet. Until he saw the fashions that go with it. <laughs> and then he thought twice. But anyway, nevertheless, uh, yeah, it's sort of, uh, you know, it's hard to look cool. In the in moped leathers because they're just really quite naff. But anyway, Alison is the the person to speak to about uh, leathers and all things motorbikes. So perhaps and we should forks. put the two, and forks. <laughs> so we put the two together at some point. Anyway, this week we've had a, a, an extremely busy week. I say that every week, but this week has been quite exceptional actually. And the reason is that we'll start with our news for Hobeck. We had a big, big uh, development for us, which is Mark Whiteman. And Waking the Tiger, only published on June the 1st uh, this month, obviously, uh, has been nominated, or long-listed, I should say, for the extremely prestigious McIlvany Prize from Bloody Scotland for the best crime book from Scotland of the year. And it is up against 12 other candidates, some of them extremely well-known and famous, but this is a big, big deal. Uh, let's just mention a few of them, shall we, Bex? Yeah, so we've got... Uh, Chris Brockmeyer, who's um, very well-established and very well-known. Good old Val McDermott, of course, everybody knows her. Neil Lancaster's up there as well. Uh, Stuart McBride um, with the Coffee Maker's Garden, which actually looks quite intriguing, I might get that. Um, William McIntyre as well. Um, there's, there's a few others as well, but 
the, the thing that interests me, so we, we knew about this a uh, week ago and it's been really, really difficult to keep a secret. Even when we recorded last week's podcast, I was thinking, oh, so what to say, but we couldn't. Complete embargo on the news. Um, and then when we got the email with the list of uh, all the other long listed titles, we were the only small independent publisher on the list. So all the others were, some were well-established independent publishers, but the rest were the biggies. And it felt like being the sort of new boy in the in the in the school, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It's it's a wonderful accolade, and uh, congratulations to Mark. It is a great book, and we knew that when we read it, and uh, we were, you know, very excited to to sign him. And uh, it, it deserves all the praise and accolades it's getting. But uh, there is a, a sort of corollary to that that, that now uh, opens up channels that we haven't had before. Uh, particularly with Waterstones, who are now, you know, got straight in touch with us and, uh, you know, booking more copies so they can be distributed around their stores, which is is fantastic. But it has given us a squall of of hard work trying to uh, deal with the extra demand, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, part of the busyness of this week was we, we had this email from Waterstones saying they couldn't order the book online. And so we had to we had to work out why we had to deal with that. We had to speak to uh, Nielsen's who in the UK, they supply all the ISBNs, don't they? But they also feed the data into all the systems um, that uh, bookshops um, uh, use for, for their processes as well. And we, we, were, we were very lucky. We spoke to three different people at Nielsen's. They were all brilliant, very efficient, very understanding. And the problem got sorted out. So that was part of it. And then we had to think about, what are we going to do to cope with the demand? Because there's going to be a greater demand for the book if Waterstones are going to stock it. And they did give us an initial number for what they were looking at to start with. And we realised that print on demand isn't going to be sufficient for that. So we've had to uh, look at um, a sort of a, a smaller but not print on demand print run. So a small run of books. And with that comes storage and distribution. So this is all completely new for us, but it's, you know, it's a great learning curve to be on. Yeah, it's pushed us into territory where, you know, we wanted to be anyway at some point, And this is the the, the catalyst. Let's hear from Mark himself, uh, who's been reflecting on, well, an, an incredible achievement, really. How do I feel about being longlisted for the Bloody Scotland McIlvanny Prize for Crime Book of the Year 2021? Well... My initial feeling was one of disbelief. I received a call a couple of weeks ago from Bob McDevitt, who's the, the programme director for the Bloody Scotland Crime Festival. I'd actually missed his, his initial call, so there was a, voice call, a voicemail asking me to call him back. At that point, it hadn't even occurred to me at all that he might have been calling about the McIlvanny Prize, because in previous years, sort of before COVID, when um, the Bloody Scotland Festival was fully live, they had... 10-minute slots in between the main live author events where debut authors could stand up on the stage and read extracts from their novels. And I'd applied for one of these uh, slots in, I think, the last festival before before the shutdown. Um, but because Waking the Tiger wasn't actually going to be published that year, my application was declined. But Bob had been very complimentary about, about the application. So I thought he must be calling about something similar. And I was busy thinking about which passage I might read, what would be the most suitable thing for me to read out. And when, when I finally got hold of him, he just came straight out and said, I have some good news. And it was at that point that something clicked in my head that he might be talking about the McIlvanny Prize. And I went a bit numb, frankly. I, I don't actually remember what I said when he told me the news, but uh, I'm pretty sure it wasn't very eloquent. 
um, the next couple of days after that were a bit surreal. We were were embargoed, so we couldn't actually tell anyone except for our, our, our nearest and dearest and families and things. Um, so having to sit on top of the news, and I was just like bouncing around, wanting to tell people. Um, but I, I honestly, I couldn't quite believe it. I must have checked the official email about half a dozen times just to make sure I hadn't imagined it. How have things been since the announcement? It's it's been absolutely great. I've been walking around with a silly grin on my face you know, for the last few days since the since the announcement on Tuesday. Even though I'd been pre-warned, uh, the day of the announcement itself was a bit of a whirlwind. I'd been expecting you know to get a few messages of congratulations from from friends and you know, university colleagues and that sort of thing. But from about ten o'clock in the morning, when the press release came out, my phone didn't stop pinging till about six at night it was it was really gratifying to see and hear how pleased people were um you know I was really touched by that um I, I frankly I felt very proud not just for myself but also for you guys at Hobeck who've shown so much belief in this book during its short life um I realized after the hullabaloo started to die down a little um a bit later in the week uh, that I was not only proud of the book I was proud for the book it's been a bit of a revelation to me that although I'm the author and my name's on the cover, the book has taken on a life of its own. Historical crime fiction set in exotic locations such as Betancourt, Singapore, isn't the sort of thing you usually find on the long list for, you know, for awards like this. And it's really great to see. So well done to Waking the Tiger. And here's to everything that happens next. Mark Whiteman, Waking the Tiger, nominated for a McIlvenny Prize. And uh, I dare say, given it's a debut, it might just feature potentially as a debut prize. We never, we don't know. Yeah, so that that would be lovely. And um, I'm also nominating uh, Mark and a number of our other authors for Dagger Awards as well. So, you know, we we are very much in favour of uh, trying to get um, prizes and awards as where we can feasibly for our authors. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's a very very important uh, facet of of what we do. Okay, so that's our big Hobeck news, and we've been busy with other things too, but uh, we'll, we'll touch on those later. Let's look at the, the wider publishing news, and, and we're off to Harrogate. We keep banging on about this, but it, we are <laughs> really excited, and in a few weeks' time we'll be there. And it, just before uh, we go into the, the shortlist uh, that's been announced this week for the Crime Book of the Year, Thixton's Prize, which is the, perhaps the most prestigious in the in the industry for crime books, um, we ought to say that we're, we're planning to, uh, where possible, produce some extra hobcasts when we're at Harrogate. So uh, hopefully it'll be daily. But I've got some an, an, a neat little bit of kit which is going to allow us to do some really interesting roundtable discussions if we can get access to the authors. But at the moment, the organisers are uh, a little cautious because of COVID and, and, and that sort of thing. So we're just waiting on what's going to be possible. And let's not forget that Harrogate happens just two or three days after the government announces what they're going to do about lockdown restrictions, which they delayed for a month. Mm. And, you know, things are shooting up in terms of the number of cases in the country. Several days in a row of 10,000 plus. So, uh, you know, perhaps we won't open up in July as we hoped. But, you know, you never know. Yeah, I don't really want to think about that because I think I'd be I'd be gutted if our plans didn't come yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with you. Anyway, let's um, let's quickly whisk through that that short list, which has been whittled down from I think I think there were fifteen books initially on the long list, something like that. Now yeah. it's down to six. It's just six, it? yeah. So um, we have um, um, Abba Mukherjee, who actually has read *Waking the Tiger* by Mark Whiteman, and um, given us a lovely uh, 
quote for it. He His book, Death in the East, is on the shortlist. Um, the Last Crossing by uh, Brian McGilloway. We begin at the end by Chris Whitaker. The Lantern Men by Ellie Griffiths. So Ellie Griffiths, um, I, I see quite a lot on Twitter. Um, she's very popular at the moment. Three Hours by Ros- Rosamond Lupton. And finally, The Man on the Street by Trevor Wood. Now, I I don't really know much about any of those books, but... I'm... Oh, we've missed one out, actually. Chris Whitaker's We Begin at the End. I said that. Did you? Yes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I'll listen back you to the You just nodded off for a little bit. No, well, okay, yeah, probably. I'm tired. <laughs> I am tired. It's only Sunday morning, but uh, it's, it's Father's Day. I'm entitled to be tired. Happy Father's Day, Dad, if you're listening. Yeah, and to mine. <laughs> he won't be. No, I don't think mine will, but I like to think he might. So that's uh, that's that short list, and so we hope to catch up with some of those authors when we're particularly Abia, who's been very kind to support Mark Whiteman's Waking the Tiger, uh, which is great because, I mean, they're kind of both Scottish writers and it's a similar genre, historical crime fiction. Mm. Fantastic. No, I think he's, he's, he's very supportive of Mark, actually. Mm-hmm. So. What else has caught your eye this week? Um, okay, so we, we are a little bit obsessed with Waterstones, I feel, on this podcast. We always have something to say about Waterstones. And the thing that caught my eye about Waterstones this week was... Um, uh, it's James Daunt, isn't it? The yeah, CEO. Yeah, yeah. So he um, he's he said he's been saying quite a few times recently that they've had bumper sales since um, restrictions on retail um, have lifted. Um, and yes, that's fine. That's great. But he this week he said that he thinks it's because people are reading because they can't afford to go on holiday. They can't afford to go on holiday because the prices of holidays have shot up. Uh, since um, and also it's not available i mean it's just very hard to yeah. go anywhere you know basically we, we can go to gibraltar and that's about it and i, I thought in what in one one way yes okay that could be a possible explanation but i was thinking about myself if i'm if i book a holiday for a week the first thing i do is i go to a bookshop and i buy about 10 books to take with me whereas if i'm working or i'm at home i'm not likely to read quite so much ah, yeah but that's true but then you know waterstones aren't the Tend to they don't tend to be the bookshops that you find in in airports. It tends to be W H Smiths. Oh well, I plan ahead. I I well, I do buy in the, the W H Smiths and I buy those trade paperbacks. Mm-hmm. But I also buy ten books, so I end up taking about fifteen books when I go on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I, I know the feeling. I mean, I don't take fifteen, but maybe a couple. I was something catches my eye in the trade size paperback. And anything else? Um, now, uh, another obsession of mine is uh, statistics and charts. I love them. And it's an obsession with yours, but for a different reason, because you don't like them. <laughs> Not especially. No, I mean, I, you know, um, I'd, I'd be obsessed about them if we, we had a Hobart book at the top. <laughs> well, sure. I, I always, I still have high hopes for the small publisher chart in the bookseller, which is like at the very bottom of all the charts. There's like a top, top 10 of small publishers um the, the chart there and and i look at the numbers and i think mm, but one day we could we could be in number 10 so but anyway i I was thinking this week about um i mentioned last week that um el james is freed shot to number one and the bookseller oh big news freed is number one of the chart straight away it's just published and now the bookseller is saying oh what a shame she's now been um put to number three because joe wicks is cooking some sort of cooking book he's published and um uh, Richard Osmond, the Thursday Murder b- uh, Book Club, has gone back up again. So poor old uh, E.L. James has only had one week at the top because people are more interested in care home murder stories and cooking, helpfully. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah I, Richard Osmond's book, 
defies gravity. Um, it's just this year's thing, isn't it? Well, it's uh, floating around the room as we speak. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and Joe Wicks is is the the greatest of the pandemic winners, I guess. He is, t- isn't he? No one had ever profile. heard of him before. No, really? they had. They had. You oh, know. Well, me then. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I think he's crossed over from. Um, if you're interested in those sort of things, like Lean in Fifteen or whatever his book first book was, um, it, you know he's he's now become in the UK at least. Uh, a massive celebrity and you know figure uh built around you know his work trying to get kids fit during the pandemic fair enough but uh that's the the charts um it's it's amazing just how static they are actually in terms of you know what comes in and out of the, of the book charts but uh we're sort of building up i guess for the post summer holiday rush with september and october being the biggest months in publishing and lots and lots of books will be uh, held back from even last year coming out this year. So, again, it's going to be another bean feast trying to get into Waterstones. But uh, we're delighted that we've got uh, Mark Whiteman being stocked there. And uh, we hope that's the uh, channel that opens up Waterstones for our other titles. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, you know, everything we do, we're always going in the right direction. And, and so... Yeah, you can't, you can't necessarily rush these things. No. And, um you know, and let's be honest, the, the big bricks and mortar retailers, they like a good year to plan what goes in. So, you know, we, we tend to get our books out a lot quicker than that. So it's not exactly in the rhythm of, you know, retailers whose buyers need to know a year ahead, you know, what's coming in and what shelf space they're going to dedicate to it and all that sort of thing. So, you know, it's it's a different it's a different ecosystem. Absolutely, because if you compare traditional publishing to self-publishing, so self-publishing authors, they don't need to have that 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 sort of long uh, schedule on their books because they're not publishing in the same way. Which traditional publishers have always had. Uh, it depends on the type of book, but like you're saying for trade books, they need nine months to a year to have it in the catalogue, have it in the schedule, have it planned out. Um, so we're going to have to get used to having longer term plans from our authors of when they think they're going to be able to deliver and where, when what their books might be called and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you give with one and take with the other, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Uh, well, we'll find a sort of hybrid route through uh, as, as we develop. Okay, let's get to our big feature interview. Now, I, as I said earlier, uh, I, I made a bit of a mess up. So uh, we recorded initially an interview with Ali in her back garden, which was lovely. It was slightly surreal as well. We went on all sorts of subjects. Uh, <laughs> Not necessarily I, And then I sat down this morning to do the edit and couldn't find the interview. So uh, a rookie error on my part, uh, taking me back to my sort of early days in, in radio. Uh, so I do apologise for that. But Alison was a trooper and got herself up on Zoom. And let's She was dressed as well. She was dressed as well, which is more than we were. <laughs> I'm still in my PJs. I'm wearing a lovely dressing gown. Uh, that's perhaps too much information. <laughs> Anyway, we spoke to Alison Mitchell. This week, Throttled is... Reli- Alison Mitchell, I'm sorry. Alison Morgan, you were about to say. Alison Mitchell is an old colleague of mine who presents Test Match Special. I do apologise. We didn't speak to her. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, she costs too much, frankly. Uh, Amy Morgan, uh, Throttled is out this week and Overhead Dead Body, the audiobook, is out next week. And uh, she has narrated that as well. So uh, it's great to catch up with her and, again... Another great interview with her, full of uh, amazing insights. 
Alisonisms. Now, listeners, a confession. This interview was conducted initially a week ago in beautiful sunshine. And now it is being conducted <laughs> under a duvet of dubious vintage, surrounded by curtains and plastic poles and over Zoom. But it is still a great pleasure to welcome Alison Morgan to the show. Welcome. Sorry about getting up on a Sunday morning and dragging <laughs> you to your writing shack so you could speak to us. Uh, but it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Well, good morning, Adrian and Rebecca. Lovely to chat to you on a Sunday morning with a cup of tea in my writing shack. And it's nice to see you again, even though it's virtually, you know, so soon after your visit to Sunny <laughs> Bedfordshire. <laughs> We've only just chatted to you. We're here again. Just to fully explain what I have done, because I am responsible for this snafu, uh, it is simply that uh, when you use a mobile recorder, it is a wise decision to put your SD recording card into it uh, when you're recording. Uh, and I failed. It is still in the car where it has been uh, used to review the forthcoming production of Over Her Dead Body by Alison Morgan. Uh, by A.B. Morgan, I should say, and performed by you. So it it did have a good purpose and it has sort of pushed forward the uh, the Hobeck empire, but <laughs> it has cost us an interview that I, I left it in the car. So I do apologise. Welcome. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Uh, and it's an exciting week to coming up. So we're actually that much closer to Tuesday, which is publication day for Throttles. How do you feel yeah. about it? I, do you know, I'm really excited because I'm so proud of that book. Um, I had one of those moments, you know, the dodgy second album moment that you have in life. And because you asked me to write a series and originally Over Her Dead Body was just going to be a standalone. But quite rightly, the pair of you identified Pedder and Connie Quirk, who were the husband and wife, rather unconventional private investigator team that, that came out of my head. Uh, for Over Her Dead Body. You quite rightly saw in them the potential for a series going forward because they are such wonderful characters. Um, so I therefore had to switch my head into thinking about a series. So could I come up with a follow-up book as good as Over Her Dead Body? Because because that one was a real standout book for me. It felt like I'd sort of hit my stride, if you know what I mean by that. Mm. that, that my writing had sort of... I'd really found my style. I've always had a particular style. And I think given my my slightly odd sense of humour anyway, that that has always come out in my writing. Um, but I, I sort of found that lovely, not comfort zone, because I don't think you ever get comfortable when you're writing. Um, certainly not with yourself. You're always very critical. Could I have done this better? What could I do differently to make that? But um when I sat down to write Throttled, um, I had, again, just this basic idea, basic premise, if you like, and needed to build a story around it. And I had no idea when I started it how it was going to end up, because I am I think when we've spoken before, because I'm very privileged that this is my second uh, Hobcast book show appearance. Oh, that's not the right word, is it? Uh, uh, invitation. Um, no, I, I'm... As I said before, you know, I'm 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 really lucky to to 
to be here and I am a pantser so you never quite know what you're going to get until I've got some rough idea how the book is going um, and it could go in any given direction depending on uh, what takes me where so you, uh, thank you very much for putting your faith in me that I would come up with something else and that I could come up with something else and that when you received the synopsis once I knew what I was writing about that it was that it was all right with you because actually that's a really tricky moment so Yes, to your question, I am very overexcited by the fact that Throttle is out on Tuesday, um, and I feel somewhat reassured that it, it that it's going down very well because our early advanced readers have come back with some cracking reviews. To be honest, so I could I could sigh with relief for a while. Phew, I think it's going to be all right. So, uh, actually, yeah. actually, one of the heart readers um, recently said you had passed the second book test. So I, you know, that was one of my favourite comments because yeah, like you were saying that. at the beginning that the, there is that second book test. You can write a great first book, but that puts the pressure on what comes yeah. after that. Yeah, it certainly does. Because if you can't hit that mark again, people will very quickly lose interest. And people who don't find you until a bit later on in the series, there needs to be an expectation that every book that you then produce is of that quality and that standard. No pressure then. <laughs> it's, it's tough because I'm writing book three at the moment. And I was awake at like four o'clock this morning going, oh, yeah, I could. Yeah, that would work. I could do that. I need to go back and rewrite that little scene because I'm a very visual writer. So I often see things as a scene in my head and then I have to translate it onto the page. So that's the way I work. Well, that's the, the magic of pantsing, isn't it? In the sense that you have those moments of inspiration and you've got the liberty in which to yeah. to to go back and revise. Whereas if you've gone the other route, which look I admire, but I can't do it personally, uh, having everything mapped out, then you're in a sort of something of a straitjacket because you throw out the whole yeah. the whole uh, thread if you make a, a significant change. But it's it's wonderful to to be back in the world of Pedder and Connie, um, and in in this instance with Throttles because it's less of a you know it wasn't conceived as a standalone, it's about featuring them. They obviously are a bigger feature of the of of the of the novel than than uh, Evening Overhead Dead Body, and obviously their relationship evolves and strengthens in the in the in the mind's eye of the, of the reader. So. Where have you taken them this time in terms of the, the way they operate? Oh, do you know, I just love their relationship. Um, and, and I deliberately steered away when when Peda uh, evolved in my head. I, I deliberately steered away from the stereotypical burnt out ex-policeman with an alcohol problem or a drugs problem and a failed marriage and a string of... Tatty raincoat. You know, yeah, that's it, Tatty well, raincoat. He's got one of them. You know. I, I, I stayed away from that and produced someone who sort of, um, although he put his heart and soul into his career and he's a man of integrity, he, he likes to get to the truth, justice is really important to him, he doesn't suffer fools gladly, but he has this amazing dry wit and sense of humour and he has survived his career which sort of branched into consultation work as well and he went into sort of um let's call it independent security jobs uh, a little bit on the hush hush um and he survived that because he because he is that man of integrity with that central core of humor but alongside him ever since he met her back in the 80s when he worked in the hong kong police 
um, as a British officer, um, is Connie Quirk, his wife. And she is just his, you know, his, his other, <coughs> literally his other half. Oh, bless you, Rebecca. <laughs> oh, I thought the pollen levels were down a bit this morning, but maybe not. <laughs> Um, it's that dodgy duvet that you're hiding under that's what it is um, yeah so um, Pe Pedder and Connie are, are a real pair they are a real team um, and and they are sort of inseparable and they know each other very well Connie supports any of her husband's insecurities because we all have them um, and there are times when he doubts himself or he or he's annoyed with himself that he cannot you know unravel a mystery as quick as he wants to because in Throttle, there's a bit of time pressure here. Um, so you see them all under pressure, not only Pedder and Connie, but the, uh, the other sort of ancillary characters um, become more important, I think. But uh, you see more of, of Connie's um, endless enthusiasm, positivity and determination. She's a whirlwind, that woman. Um, but she too is very good at keeping secrets and, and knowing exactly what the right thing is to do. Um, um, but she is a little dynamo, bless her. And I, every time I speak about her, I see her in, in my head. It's, it's very difficult to explain. I know um, last week when you came and sat in the garden um, and we were there with, um, with Jan Oxford, who won the prize um, of gin and books from Malcolm Hollingdrake, those beautiful gin goblets. And uh, we were having, I remember us having this discussion about if it ever got on the telly, who would play Pedder Quirk? And we couldn't come up with anyone because, and that's in a way, I think that's quite a compliment because maybe there isn't someone like him that springs to mind. So, you know, he's not a, he's not a stereotype for me. That's great. And I think as a pair, um, there isn't anyone like them and I and I'm, I'm not quite sure what the secret is I suspect it's their banter and their and their sense of humor um because they are very funny together um they're funny on their own because uh Connie uh, particularly in Throttled I've, I've I've shown her as driving one of these people who zooms around she's a bit of a speedy driver she's a bit of a rally driver um and she talks to her sat nav now I know I'm there of people out there who talk to their sat nerves thank you very much yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well there you go so you know I, I put a lot of human uh, factors if you like how how we all are we all we're all a little bit well I'm probably quirkier than most if I'm honest but we all have our little foibles don't we things that we do and I've shown um <laughs> shown Pedder doing sort of car karaoke he'd obviously got absolute 80s radio on or something and um and uh, he was singing along to Susie and the Banshees, um, Hong Kong Garden, which when it first came out, he'd misheard the, the lyrics and he thought and he'd sang along singing Hong Kong Darling. And that's why he used to sing it to Connie, which he never really understood because it's totally irrelevant. But he thought he was singing Hong Kong Darling. So I put that in. The, I put that in the book um, because that's the sort of stupid thing that. The, the bearded wonder my husband would do so um uh that's all I do I think that's a lot of writers do that they take little bits from their own world and they put them appropriately or sometimes not um you know into their characters and into the storyline because that's that's what happens in real life we're odd people are very odd so, yeah and I think that's what you you're, you're so good at is observing the oddities of of human nature um because yeah. that when I'm when I'm reading um 
one of your books or we were listening to the um, audio of over her dead body when we went to visit you and <laughs> I, I can picture them so vividly because you paint them so well and I, I would love to know if what is in my head is the same as what's in your head for the for all the characters I don't, yeah how can we make that happen we'd have to somehow get a sort of brain projector so we could pro- <laughs> project yeah. pictures on the walls to see if they were the same sort of thing that would be we, great, could, do, we could do an e-fit or something It'd be like, like a, a line of headers <laughs> well yeah. I, going back to that that point that last week we were trying to speculate as to who could play pedder in a tv version I, i've just come up with an idea that i see jerome flynn playing it because yeah. you know he's now you know as in robson and jerome um now he's looking a bit craggier uh in life after doing game of thrones um but he he's got the accent i think was he that's his soldier native soldier? Accent. yeah that's right that's the one yeah. i'm thinking of yeah. not robson green yeah. i mean that's just too cliche and he, he only does one accent um <laughs> <His own. laughs> well he does his own very well but if you've yeah. watched grantchester you know he can't do and he can't do a southern accent to save his life <laughs> <laughs> well i so mean Jerome, I've given Pedder a very gentle um, northern accent because the, the Manx accent is, is really peculiar. It's got the sort of smattering of Liverpudley and it's quite odd. Um, and because Pedder hasn't lived there for donkey's donkey's years, he was, he was born and brought up there, but very quickly moved and, you know, moved away, had a career elsewhere. So he's just got a very slight sort of northern, because you can see Cumbria from the Isle of Man, you can see loads of places from the Isle of Man if you <laughs> get on the top of Snay, fell on a clear day. But um, yeah, so he's just got a very gentle northern accent. So whoever, you know, whoever rocks up and says, oh, we'd love to make this into a television series, you know, you can take your pick. There's loads of good actors out there. <laughs> um, oh, I'm wishful thinking, wouldn't it be great? But um, yeah, wishful thinking never does any harm does it it's absolutely free. absolutely so um in terms of the the audio but let's let, let's listen to a little bit of you as pedder and connie scanning around the white walled room i pieced together pedder's former life motorbikes seemed to feature heavily and although i didn't have a clue who some of the people were pedder quirk revealed himself as the common denominator in the photographs I could pick out a couple of familiar TV series. Midsummer Murders was straightforward to spot, and so was Morse. There was a shot of an Oxford University building in front of which Pedder posed with Kevin Waitley in a chummy embrace. Evidently, Mr Quirk had a fascinating past. As for his present, his office reception area was spotlessly clean, comfortable and cared for, which somehow instilled a sense of confidence in me. I presumed he would be fastidious and fascinating and eased myself into a more comfortable position on the hard chair as I waited for the man himself. The next few minutes had me doubting my solicitor's ability to judge character. Pedder Quirk was not what I was expecting. I heard loud clumping footsteps as someone climbed the stairs and heavy breathing reached a crescendo. Fechin fags will be the death of me, the man said as he lolloped towards Connie. The first thing I noticed, apart from his Irish accent, was the man's smell. He exuded a strange fug of stale cigarette smoke, alcohol and damp, mouldy corners. Connie nodded in my direction 
your nice lady is here. So she is, said the scruffy man in a grubby brown suit, a grimy baseball cap rammed low over his heavy brow. Pedderquirk, nice to meet you. Barely acknowledging me, he turned back to his wife. And I suppose you gave her that old tripe about me buying you from a Hong Kong backstreet slave trader. But, he continued, wagging his finger, did you tell her they refused to take you back once I discovered what a gob you have on you? With my illusions shattered, I flashed a quick look up at a photograph to remind me of the handsome and much younger Pedder Quirk in action slacks and a black roll-neck sweater being toasted by Pierce Brosnan. Looking back at the man as he was now, disappointment sank like a stone in my chest. What happened to the accent? I asked, surprised to hear the Irish brogue replaced by an unfamiliar inflection I couldn't place. It comes and goes, Pedder said. Depends what mood I'm in, or if I want to be the affable Irish drunk in the corner of the pub, picking up on the gossip. It's surprising how long I can make one pint last, especially if I chuck half of it down my trousers so I smell like a brewery. Look like I've pissed myself into the bargain. He stepped back and cast his eyes over the front of his suit. Look at the tide marks on this fella. Connie grinned at him. These days he's forced into having a ciggy outside with the puffers and the wheezers. They know everything. Can't be a proper wino if you don't smoke, don't you know? With a special Dublin emphasis on the last phrase, he handed Connie a vaping pen. Thank Christ I don't have to suck on the genuine articles. Disgusting habit. At a guess, Pedder was in his mid to late fifties, although Connie seemed somewhat younger, Given her lively nature and youthful features, it was hard to make an educated estimate. The so-called detective made for a door marked private. I stink to high heaven, he said, sniffing at a lapel pulled towards his nose. Give me five minutes to get out of my best suit. Connie was quick with her retort. Don't take too long over your hair. The lady doesn't want to be kept waiting. Catching the mischief passing between the couple, I wasn't sure what I'd let myself in for. Was the man a buffoon, or was he merely adept at pretending to be one? Coffee would go down well if you can drag yourself away from your stupid pot plants, Pedder Quirk chirped. Yes, Master. Would you like me to drink it for you as well? Brilliant performance from you, Ali. Uh, as you read Overhead Dead Body or Narrate It, I should give it the proper title because I feel very particular about that it's not just reading it's performance and you've uh, had to create all the voices for all the different characters you've created you must curse yourself sometimes when you think oh why did I create a character like that I can't do the voice <laughs> no but you can that's the point of it and so overhead dead body will be out actually we hope in a week's time it's certainly it's scheduled to be out on the 29th of June can't wait for that either so it's been a busy time throttled and overhead dead body the audiobook what about making those characters uh, what, what challenges have you felt doing the, your own narration oh no do you know it's, it's a lot tougher than people think it is um i know you were talking to judy dakin last week um on the same subject about how physical um doing narration is and it is a performance it's not not just reading from a book and i've heard plenty of people do that in a very dull monotone and good grief um i don't tend to do dull monotone anyway but there are, you're right, there are times when I think, why did I write that in, 
in that particular way because that you know which shouts you need to do this in a, an accent that's vaguely from the northeast hello i'm yasmina can i take your number your new pin please <laughs> and i'm thinking oh god i've got to do this and i've got to do it consistently but luckily you know so i can throw in the odd one that doesn't last for very long and probably get away with it um there is i'm a bit of a bugger for accents uh to be honest with you which you know because i think the first time we had a, a sort of a, a phone call uh between the three of us we were laughing and joking and just generally messing about with voices and accents and uh I, wherever i go if if there's an accent there my little ears will go oh i like that i wonder if i could do that one and if it's something on the television i can sort of copy it and i can't help it I, you know it's something my father always did um still does actually um and uh, so i do tend to write with regional accents in mind because i think it, it gives quite a lot of writing it is again it's about real life we meet people every day from different parts of this apparently very small country of ours how many regional accents can you fit in one place? You know, I'm including Great Britain in that, by the way. Um, you know, but even if you just consider England, you, you know, you've got your northern accents and your Brummy accents and your West Country accents. And then you start shifting around to Wales and Scotland and Ireland. And goodness me, there's so much to choose from. And I can't do all of them. There's a, there's a <laughs> few that I just cannot, cannot get. And um, one of those is um, the North Welsh accent. Can't do it. Rubbish. Yeah, because that's almost scouse. Well, I I had a go at it, and uh, I must admit, yeah, I mean it, it's difficult because now I can't do scouse accents because I slip into North Welsh, <laughs> so <laughs> which is a bit of a problem if you're narrating the Merseyside crime series, which yes. I will be very soon. Um, yeah. It's 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 really tricky. But as you say, with the Manx accent, it's a, it's a similar situation because it is quite yeah. scouse as well. Yeah, um, I've stayed I've stayed away from that because it, it it wouldn't be true to to how Pedder would would be because you know he's an educated man who's been all over the world so he wouldn't have retained that very specific accent but he, he might use a few of the, the the maybe the phrases so what's the skeet it, 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 on the Isle of Man just means what's the gossip but you know that's a very, that's very specific to 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 there so I had to do a bit of research about that as well because although um We've been to the Isle of Man um, several times, the Bearded Wonder and I, because uh, motorbikes feature very heavily in our lives. Um, uh, the Bearded Wonder runs an engineering company. Um, it, it isn't just specifically motorbikes. It does huge bits of reclamation type engineering um, involving electroplating of hard chrome, just to get a bit technical for you. But um, he's keeping Spitfires flying in the sky and doing you know great big rollers for the canning industry and and the food industry and in amongst that he does the front suspension forks for motorbikes so if your front forks get pitted you know, be very likely that it's his company that the motorbikers would send them into to have them uh, reclaimed so I'm, uh, I'm fascinated to know with the so you go to the vintage tt races occasionally on the island yeah we go to the manx and the classic yeah yeah which is it's fantastic um 
does the bearded wonder get mobbed or does he get a queue of people no. wa- wanting people to check his <laughs> check their forks out or, or how does it work no because they don't know they know him from adam and he's usually um he's usually doing marshalling he's, he's taken up marshalling on the isle of man which we haven't been able to do obviously because of um covid so we're feeling a bit miffed off about that um but yeah he's he's usually bit, and just fascinating watching all the bikes go around but we do have a few um customers if you like who are part of uh, the racing teams so we pop and see them and have a good old natter and uh, and he usually does he usually gets their forks through pretty quick for them so, so because a lot he, of the op- does he admire other forks so does he see forks and go for look at the fork on that you <laughs> might do if they're really good ones to go i bet we did them <laughs> if they're a bit pity because you need to get them seen too here's my card it's pretty well known. I mean, he gets forks sent in from all over the world. So, um, you know, to keep some of these classic bikes on the road and running, you, you really need to have, um, and it's such a safety issue w- with your with your forks. So, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff that goes on. So he's, he's the person to go to if you have fork questions. Yes, he is. He is. Yeah, four candles. Yeah, yeah there's four yeah. candles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even I can do the old you know patter yeah. <laughs> i'll bet i'll bet yeah. oh i mean you know uh, this is another you, we always disappear into digressions and i love that but um <laughs> in terms of marshalling i mean that that let's be honest the tt no matter what vintage it is or uh what types of bikes are involved it's extremely dangerous so yes, has he had is. to do any any yeah. are there any moments where he's had to scrape somebody up or uh, uh fortunately not he hasn't been doing it as long as some people out there have and um yeah the, uh, you know there's an, a sort of acceptance in some way that there will be serious accidents and it's unusual for there not to be a death and that's yeah. just the way it is but it is such a phenomenal thing it is the speed that they go it just takes your breath away and uh, of course I'm always cheering on Maria Costello who's a female rider there's a there's three or four of them I think and oh she's just magic I love it <laughs> I watch her, I think, how is she doing that because I, I'm I had a proper midlife crisis um when I hit my 50s and instead of sitting on the back behind the bearded one I thought you know sod it I'm gonna have a go and see if I can pass my bike test and I did and it was one of the most brilliant challenges i've done because it's not easy let me tell you um and so i have my own i've got a couple of bikes myself now we're a bit bit overwhelmed with bikes as i speak the bearded wonder is in his man cave tinkering with an old bonneville and i have a newer bonneville called bernard now i know it's unusual but i did not name bernard after a character in my book i named a character in my book after my motorbike ah so bernard kershaw the very lovely slightly pompous sounding public school boy um solicitor uh bernard kershaw is named after bernard the bonneville so, <laughs> brilliant as though i um yeah that's just that's just how weird i am um and i do have another i've got a speed twin a newer triumph which i love called fonzie because that's something to do with the number plate um so they're my two favorites and we're hoping to go down to the ace cafe next weekend so i'm having some throttled t-shirts made ah. with the front cover that's great yeah. um because um 
a, a friend of ours. Oh, actually, you miss him, Ned and Charlie. Ned is um, he works on films, doing all the computer stuff, the CGI <laughs> important thingies. Don't ask me because it's too technical. Um, but he's he's got some printer paper and he's going to do it for me. Brilliant! So, uh, I, know, I know. You should tour the country wearing your t-shirt. I'm going to. I'm going to, and I'm going to have the dates added on the back of the t-shirt, like I used to do for the I old like big tour dates. Tours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can have you know, Harlington WI, <laughs> July 2021. Yeah, that sort of thing. I could do all my WI tour dates on the back of there. Brilliant. Perhaps we could have an extra one and do a competition. Well, we could do. A surprise. Yeah, we could do. We could do. But I, can, I just have visions of you going to WI meetings. That's, for those who aren't in the UK, that's the Women's Institute. Uh, you watch Calendar Girls, you know what we're talking about. But imagine... Uh, going in singing jerusalem and they go you you, you I, I could see you thrusting your fist in the air and going hello harlington <laughs> <laughs> we're all right <laughs> get ready to, hello ladies stay get awake ready to <laughs> recite <laughs> oh no i'm very good if, if i've got a face-to-face talk then i do posh up I haven't had to do that much for, for Zoom, for Zoom. Um, but as long as my you know shoulders upwards looks okay, then that, then that can get away with it. But I don't, I don't think I'm going to be touring with my T-shirts very far, to be honest. It, it's been blinking tough, she said, avoiding swear words, like Pedda does in, in <laughs> Throttled, um, by coming up with something more Shakespearean. Uh, yeah, it's been really tough. This is the second book out during the pandemic, and I have not been able to do any proper face-to-face book launches. And I think I know it's, it's been the same for a lot of authors out there, and we miss it because people want to know about you. They want to see, they want to hear you, they, they want to go, oh, yeah, she's actually quite bonkers uh, you know I might pick up the book because you know if you can get your personality across and the fact that you have this great enthusiasm for writing and for telling a story um then people get you know they get caught up in the joy of it all and they go oh I'll buy a book then um uh, and just to have your face out there in bookshops you know anywhere that I did the local pubs I don't care I've got a lot you know potential tour dates for the back of that t-shirt could have been anywhere um <laughs> And I've I've really missed that. And I think a lot of people have missed that. So we've gone with social media because that's all we've got left, really. And it's been it's been different, but great because I've met so many um, lovely readers, other authors, because we're all pretty much in the same boat at the moment. We can't go to um, any of the literary festivals because there's hardly any that are, that are taking place to any uh, big degree. Um, so we've done it, things in a different way. And I've got to confess something to you both. Um, I'm, I'm running a competition at the moment on, uh, there's a Facebook group called um, Crime Fiction Addict, and they've, they've hit over 10,000 members. So a, a lot of us have just said, oh, yeah, we'll do a giveaway of our books. And that's what I've done. So I've got Over Her Dead Body and Throttled Up um, for a, com- a competition signed versions of and I set them a little challenge because I like to do that I just didn't want to do a random giveaway so uh, the the challenge has been to come up with a middle name for Pedder oh blow me and and I oh god and I've what I've said I'm literally going to pull it randomly out of a hat so I said to everyone have some fun oh I bet they did 
I can't tell you. There's a few in there. I think if they win, how am I going to explain that if I have to write it? You know, can I have your full name, please, sir? And some of them are just hilarious. I've had a Hieronymus, uh, Aloysius. Um, one is uh, one has come up with. Oh, could I have Cure as the middle name? Because then it'd be Pedicure. Pedicure. Oh my goodness! I love and, uh, that. <laughs> and if I put, and I've got Gary and Dave, and oh, and, and and some that have just made me laugh myself silly, and some quite good Celtic ones as well, which fits in with um with Peder's you know Celtic name as it is. So people have really had some fun with it, and I've got hundreds of these blinking names to put in a hat because I can work out how to do it technologically because I'm a techno twerp, <laughs> but um. So I was sitting there writing them all out yesterday, laughing again. So um, fingers crossed that we pull out something that I haven't got. It's just going to look like Pedder's parents didn't like him very much from the moment he was born and just gave him a really horrendous middle name. But some of them will be fine. It just depends which one I pull out of the hat. And I can't remember the name of the lady who suggested Bubbles, but I really hope she doesn't win. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant brilliant so, yeah Listen, so what... we're having we're having fun with um book launches even though it, 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 we've had to just do it differently fantastic fantastic um what i think we we haven't quite touched on really is the the we've talked about Pedder and connie and the second book but we haven't really set the scene for what happens and w- what investigation they're being drawn in into so mm. give us give us the sort of i don't know what they call it the, the elevator pitch for okay, what's happening the- the elevator pitch is this. Sarah Holden, she's quite a young widow, discovers the body of her fiancé, Scott Fletcher, who was working on his motorbike, discovers him in a pool of his own blood. And she confesses to killing him, even though, quite clearly, she did no such thing. So... Pedder and Connie are call, called in by Bernard Kershaw, the solicitor, who is then called in to uh, come up with a defence for, for Sarah Holden. He's sitting there thinking, goodness me, this, this woman hasn't done this crime. What's going on here? So he's uh, pulling in Pedder and Connie to literally uh, prove her innocence. And, and and that's the simple premise of the of the story. It's far more complicated, and there are quite a lot of layers to it. Um, and the reason behind Sarah um, stating that she is the one who who killed Scott Fletcher, even though she did no such thing, was that she believes that her son may have done that, may have committed that crime. But um, yeah, I never write anything that's straightforward as it seems. So there's a lot more to it as we as as we progress through the book. And that, whilst that sounds really gory, I don't write, I don't write a lot of blood and guts and gore. Um, so uh, that opening scene, as it were, is probably as gory as it gets, she says, just casting her mind back, trying to think if there is any more blood and guts and gore. Not too much. Um, <clears throat> but yes, that's a simple premise. So I'm sure that um, now Cassotled, yeah. Uh, publishes the day after this um, podcast goes live that people knowing what they're like especially the, the fans of overheard our body they're going to read it in about two days flat if that and they're <laughs> going to want to know what's coming next so how, how are things with book three book three I have book three I have a cracking title for um 
uh, on a loop that it might change to on, stuck on a loop, but I think on a loop, it sort of about, covers it. Uh, and uh, I don't want to give too much away because because I'm such a pantser, <laughs> it could change. <laughs> um, but this one is set in the winter months, which I quite like. It's quite important for writers to think about the season of the year that you're writing in and, and everything mm. has to fit around that. So I, you have the advantage of some dismal weather, um, to be perfectly honest, uh, and those darker afternoons and evenings so that really helps give not only a bit of atmosphere to the book but it gives you a few options and what you can get away with and I've set it um in a like a cul-de-sac in part of Bosworth Bishops which is where Pedro and Connie live and it's where the series is set now that's a fictional place um but it's sort of nestled right on the edge of the Cotswolds-ish so you've got you've got some options as to where you can zoom around to but every town has a, an area to it that just it has a higher crime rate than the rest of the of the town and uh, and we, we all know that those places exist and I've based this on somewhere that a friend of mine moved to a new block of flats in a dodgy part of town, which didn't immediately appear to be very dodgy because it was winter time. And you don't really notice yeah. comings and goings over the winter or how, maybe shabby is the wrong word, but you know, slightly neglected, the social housing across the road looks at that time of year. And then working out who all these new neighbors are and you've moved into a new block, a new build with just a few other flats, but each one of those flats will have someone moving into it from elsewhere that you don't know, so that it's not an established set of people. So you don't know who to trust, who's friendly on the surface, but not underneath. So it's given me quite a lot to work with. And this friend of mine who moved into this flat, I can't say where it is, obviously, so I should get myself into big trouble, but, um, the goings on and this is true life goings on she used to send me little whatsapp pictures and then a running commentary of all the hideous crimes and we're talking drug dealing prostitution um uh, vehicle damage when catalytic converters being removed uh punch-ups stabbings and, and <laughs> which she was watching from her third floor window blimey and thinking, oh, I shouldn't have moved here. This was a bad idea um, because the flats themselves look lovely. But what you're looking out onto and having to walk to your car to get out of was a bit like a ghetto. So um, that because that had really happened to someone that I know, I wanted to put it into a, a storyline. And that's what I've done. So at the moment, book three on a loop, which becomes self-explanatory, as the story evolves, um, is set in in a slightly dodgy part of town, which I've called Brown's Court, uh, which is a cul-de-sac in Bosworth Bishops, totally fictional, so no one can sue me for anything. Um, so uh, a, an elderly lady, not that elder, so a pensioner, but only just, disappears. And that's the, the sort of inciting incident. But all is not as it seems, because she is not the lovely little old lady 
that that people initially thought she was but it, it, that's the case with you though all is never as it seems with your books <laughs> I've, I've learned <laughs> yeah that's it it can't be because in real life it isn't yeah it isn't you know I, I, I can see you, you can tell when someone's being genuine but sometimes you get wrong-footed by someone's ability to make you trust them, to manipulate you, because that's what they're good at. And we all do it to a certain degree. We all sort of manipulate a situation in our favours at some point. We might do that through being friendly. We might do it by being quite bullying, but we, we all do it. And I think probably my background in mental health nursing helped me to sort of pick that out quite quickly uh, and uh, I managed to catch up with some of my colleagues the other day and we were reminiscing about some of our slightly wilder um, <laughs> experiences shall I put it that way uh, in the work that we do and they are they were extreme some of the things that, that I witnessed and, and was a part of were very extreme but it's the subtleties it's the little subtleties that you also don't realize that you're picking up on and and I can tell when someone's a bad and and I think oh you're just being that's so ingenuous it's just like that is not a genuine offer of help that is something else that I'm being fed here and and so my brain has always worked away in the background going what else is going on here what else am I seeing what other clues are, are coming mm. across that's a very useful what? skill to have yeah, it is. And I don't even know I'm doing it most of the time. Um, so when I'm writing, I, I have to sit back and analyse what it is that I, what are those things that that jump out at me? And why? Yeah, so like body so, body language and yeah. sort of certain phrases or... Yes, that's it. Or like yeah. when people yeah. look over your shoulder, you know, there's yeah. something well, not quite right. Well, <laughs> yeah. that's what they do in soap operas, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's it. but 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 normally people are much more subtle than that and you don't you don't realize and the, I, I love the people who are sort of passive aggressive so they come across and it sounds like they're saying something quite gen- generous oh. and you think no you don't mean that that's, that's <laughs> I've got some experience back, of that yeah yeah and and so yeah, you're treading on pr- private grief there uh, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> not with me I hasten to add <laughs> you're, you're just full frontal aggressive oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but there's that as well so you've got there's so much that you can throw in imagine this in a you know you you've moved into an area and you suddenly realize oh my god what have I done these people are dreadful how am I going to look after myself here who am I going to make alliances with just to get through everyday life it's like being in prison <laughs> yeah. we just started watching time oh I'll have you McGovern. yeah that's really good really good I enjoyed that well, well he, he's the master he's the master of of the negative space and allowing the actors to yeah. tell the story yeah. in much much you know i think it's it's there i mean that's a towering performance from sean bean isn't it as a oh fantastic a, a middle-aged late middle-aged yeah. um teacher you know yeah. banged up yeah. for uh for dangerous driving yes uh, i'm so worried about bernard though <laughs> bernard well i know what happens to bernard at the end of the episode is that his name no, I don't think it is. No, oh. Mark. No, Mark is um, John yeah, Bernard. His scratchy, scratchy. Um... Oh yes, yes. Sorry, the self-harming yes. guy. Uh, the self-harming. For those who haven't watched it, they're completely lost now. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm quite cryptic, aren't I? <laughs> yes. If you haven't watched it, watch it because it's good. It's it's excellent, and it's what well, it's a three-parter, isn't it? That's yes, oh, it is it? I've got it two is. more yeah. to go. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah really good good i acting. loved it last night when yeah. i watched it i was I, yeah. I almost said to you i can't watch this it's too much no i mean <laughs> yeah. jim, jimmy mcgovern is is the is the high watermark of, of british writing i think in terms of tv yeah. no yeah. question about it everyone can learn from him i mean okay it, it's always from a political stance but i don't have a problem with that um but it, it it's it's it speaks to truth in terms of human relations yeah it does and it it, it I, I think it was something that that um mark what's his surname oh the other actor oh He's um the, you think what well, stephen graham yeah he was saying he was saying um uh it it's it is the the basic premise of the story is what would you do when faced with your own moral compass? What choices would you make? And and I think, yeah, that's it. That is exactly it. What would you do when faced with your own moral compass? Interesting. Yeah, mm. and that's the centre of, of great drama, isn't it? And yeah. uh, indeed, you know, that's one of the things you tap into so brilliantly. So we're really excited. <clears throat> it's an exciting week. Throttle being published. Then Overhead yes. Dead Body, the audio book, will be out on the 29th. And, uh, you know, things are, are, are motoring along. Uh, but above all, I want to, again, apologise for dragging you out on a Sunday morning to, to in front of right. a Zoom um, <laughs> from my own technical incompetence. So it's been a bit of sort of baptism of fire for me this week, uh, not least because I've lost a front tooth during this interview. So uh, it's not. <laughs> and we've yet to mention the chickens. <laughs> we can talk oh, about chickens. Yeah. Yeah, we can't, we can't, last week we, we we got very sidetracked by chickens because I was um, chicken sitting last week for my neighbour to make sure her chickens were out and going in and feeding them and giving them plenty of water because it was so hot. Today, it is drizzling, so I don't have anything else really to do. I can't even attend to my sunflowers lovingly um, in the garden because it's miserable and drizzling and I don't even think we're going to get out on the bikes today. So I thank you for giving me something to do. On the well, how are your morning. sunflowers doing because I've, well, I've been following you avidly on Facebook and Twitter, your your sunflower progress. Sunflower, crikey, it's been such drama. I was invited to speak on BBC Three Counties Radio the other day for Crime Reading Month. So we had a lovely little conversation about, you know, crime books and what makes a good mystery. And then um, Roberto Peroni and his cronies at the, at the radio station have, have entered a sunflower growing competition between each other and I had done the same just purely by chance and he knew this so we ended up having a conversation how my sunflowers were I've never grown anything successfully from seed before but I grew 20 blinking sunflower seedlings from seeds this year and I named them all and I thought oh this is going to be fun we'll call it sunflower roulette see how many live and actually I'm doing much better than I thought um lost Barbara because I snapped her in two when I moved them from inside ceilings and put them in the garden. Then, much to my horror, um, one morning I got up to find that Sharon had been decapitated. Um, And I can't explain that at all, poor old Sharon. And I've got quite a few Sharon friends and and they got in touch with me on Facebook because I had to confess, I'm sorry, everybody, we've lost Sharon. Um, she has no head uh, and I got my friend Sharon you're a murderer what have you done to Sharon this is a <laughs> terrible thing it's been hilarious Sharon um, so stick it, together <laughs> it's really funny and I've got, so all the Maggies have been phoned please look after Maggie and, and she needs more fertilizer um, so I've in the lead at the moment we've got Linda who is showing oh well, Linda really Hooper's quite pleased by that isn't she <laughs> she's chuffed to bits and she's been sending me messages to, you know please make sure you look after Linda and the of course yesterday we had torrential it was like monsoon season around here and I had to go out in the piddling diddling rain with some extra string because they were taking such a battering from above that some of them sort of 
well, wilted is the wrong word, but literally Droops. the weight of their head made them droop. And so I had to get the string out and tie them onto the bamboo poles. I mean, it was like an emergent, must look after my sunflowers. It's got re completely out of hand. Um, but, <laughs> but people are assuming that I'm sort of playing sunflower roulette to see who wins. So who's going to be the tallest um, sunflower and that that per, then that name will go into my plot somehow or become a victim I don't know I've decided but well, you know, sounds like a, a victim already for, for a couple of books <laughs> yes yeah, so um, the surname is going to be sunflower so it'll be Linda sunflower or Maggie sunflower or Dave um, I've got a Dave Dave sunflower we have got a Nigel um, we've got a Kevin Stuart unfortunately died as well he's gone um Andy's looking very weedy that's not good and I have well, I have got an Alison and she's pretty much useless um <laughs> Donna and Bob I think they've been out drinking together because they just uh, they're just not doing it they're just not thriving <laughs> I don't know what they've been up to um it's just like Ugh. um so yeah that's my exciting life in the countryside growing sunflowers I've never done before lockdown has created some very strange um new strings to my bow shall I say yeah <laughs> uh, there you go makes a change from dressing up as Dolly Parton and leaping around singing doesn't it uh, a small change yeah there's, you know I can see a thread uh, <laughs> <laughs> Alison it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you yet again uh, not yet again again <laughs> I say yet again because it's the second time in a week but this time <laughs> yes, it's I know. Get you second time in a week yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, wish you all success with Throttles, with Overhead Dead Body, the, the audio book. And, and the uh, sunflowers. And the sunflowers, of course. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you and may very your much forks for remain back. unpitted. <laughs> yes, indeed. That goes for everyone. <laughs> it's a happy, unpitted Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. Okay, take care. Bye-bye now. Great to speak to Alison Morgan. Just making sure I get that right this time. <laughs> and uh, we wish her every success with Throttles as it releases this week. So uh, let's touch on our, the rest of our week. Um, I've been in self-isolation, which has been which is a bit of a shock, really. So the app, the NHS Track and Trace app, um, one sort of two o'clock in the morning, I sort of picked my phone up and there it was a message from them saying, you've got to do five days self-isolation. Uh, I still don't know where I might have been exposed to someone with COVID. Uh, I did travel about quite a bit last week, but I've been stuck in the house all week this week. So uh, it's been a bit of a bit of a bump, really. Well, you weren't with me when you picked it up because I didn't get the um, No, that's true. So. I wasn't. No, but I, I did spend some time with my sons up north. And um, as many people know, Manchester is a bit of an epicenter at the moment with a with the new Indian variant chasing um you know around and, and, and catching on in that area so that might have been a factor but you've but, coped very well haven't you well you... yeah i guess so i mean the first day i was a really grumpy bear uh, i have to say um because you know my week or my say my average working day i do pop out somewhere every day because i just need the change of scene um you know i may only be out for half an hour to go and pick up a sandwich or uh or maybe an hour down the driving range or something like that but i'm i you know, generally speaking, uh, there reaches a point where I have a threshold, don't I? And I need to yeah. sort of, I get itchy feet and I need to just um, pop out. Um, and that hasn't been possible. Uh, but it has uh, allowed me, I suppose, to, well, it's forced me to make the most of my time 
uh, indoors, so we've done a few domestic things. But at the same time, I've focused most of this week uh, has been a lot of the focus been on editing Sleeping Dogs by Wendy Turbin, which has been narrated by our guest from last week, Judy Dakin. Uh, so she's finished the recordings, and I've almost finished the edit. In fact, we're only sort of four chapters away from uploading it to uh, to the distributors. So that's uh, that's been a, a big focus, and and it's great to sort of put some. Uh, extra effort in behind the the audio we're still waiting for a new studio that's going to be a few weeks yet um because it's been bespoke built um over in yorkshire uh we're really looking forward to that coming in and then uh you know it's going to have a, a be fitted up i mean i i couldn't conceive of spending a day putting it together i'm just I think incompet- it might take more than that actually yeah i do some, some damage so we're going to we've got uh got the experts coming in to to, to build this thing uh, and when it's there, it's going to be, well, quite a feature of the house, but at the same time, it's going to totally revolutionise the productivity in terms of our audio work. Um, it's it's going to be spectacular, I think. And we will have to have somebody check for Cat before we go to bed at night, I think. Yeah, because she, she gets <laughs> stuck in there. Then she, you know, she won't suffocate because there's going to be a, a nice air, air filtration system. But we won't hear her meowing. <laughs> no, that's true. We won't. No, no, no. Not even she will be heard above that. <laughs> Um, something that caught both our eyes this week was, um, and we're not quite sure of the, the provenance of the comment, but in one of the fora that we're members of on Facebook uh, for crime reading and crime writing and all that sort of thing, someone moaning about the price of books in retail stores, in Waterstones in particular. How can you afford to go and buy a book if they're so expensive? And that kind of riled us, didn't it? Yeah, it was interesting because independently we saw this and we both felt riled, but only just recently commented on it and said, oh, yes, I saw that too. Now, for me, the main reason it riled me is because there was a lack of appreciation of where the money goes for each individual book. You know, it's not just the author and the publisher. It's uh, the the store earns quite a big whack of it as well because they need to. They have overheads, they have staff. Um, and the uh, distributor as well, and the printer. So it, it gets divvied up quite quite a lot. Um, Most of our books are um, priced at nine ninety nine, uh, based on the print on demand model that we use. Now the actual book itself, and an average book, three hundred twenty pages, something like that, is going to cost us over four pounds to physically create the copy. Just get that printed, and that's on a print run of I don't know fifty or something like that. Mm. So. Already, you're looking at almost half the cover price being eaten up by just the the cost of producing it, and that's not including all the other processes that have gone into creating the book: covers, the uh, editing, several rounds of editing sometimes, which all costs you know multiple hundred pounds, and then there's our time, typesetting, checking everything through, proofing, uploading, and then that's done. But the, the basic raw book, say say it's four pounds, it's actually usually more than that. Mm. And then you've got to uh, include, you know, distribution costs in terms of getting it to bookshops or sending it to a customer. Uh, it doesn't leave a lot at the end of all that in terms of a royalty for us as publishers or our authors. And now we've started exploring, as we mentioned, uh, publishing with Clay's, who are the biggest um, uh you, you, you like printing house printing house thank you very much <laughs> the biggest printing house in the country and of course there are economies of scale when you're using a company like that and you're ordering 200 plus copies so the unit price comes down to around two pounds fifty and then we think oh well there's our margin it's going to go up but it isn't 
because you've got the cost of storing the books, you've got the cost of distributing them through gardeners, then into waterstones, and that costs money and transportation and all that sort of thing. Then you've got people taking a 12% here, or a, in the case of waterstones, they like to have a, at least 50% discount. So 50% of the cover price is what they get. It, you're starting to get to the point where actually the margins are the same, print on demand or indeed on a big print run. Um, and there isn't a lot of money. So we might be looking at, if we're really, really doing well, pound fifty split between the author and the publisher. Yeah, so I, I did some maths to compare uh, printing. Um, I did it on a 200 print run at Clay's compared to print on demand. And I think it was 50p extra on the margin overall um, per book. So it, it's a little bit more, but it's not excessive. Yes, if we we were printing a thousand copies it would be even more it would be a better margin again but you know we're not we're not there yet and and indeed you know the, the, this comment also said well i go and buy my books in tesco uh because there you know you can get pick up a uh, a leading paperback for about four pounds uh but i can guarantee the author on that would be getting about 10 pence on the, on the, on the mm. deal um and the only upside is that it might be a lot of 10 pences because tesco might stock a lot of those books and they might shift a lot but it is this is the nature of publishing. It's a huge risk. It's a gamble. Every time you, you commission a title, you put it all together, you pu- publish it, there are no guarantees that you're going to make your money back. And uh, it is really difficult to make a margin on the bricks and mortar side of things, especially as a small publisher. And, it's, of course, it's important that you're seen visibly, that you can get your books in there, and, and uh, it's important for credibility as well. But let's not kid anybody for someone to complain that you know books are too expensive i would argue they're actually a bargain mm. in this country particularly and if you went to australia you'd know what i meant because you know there they're routinely 30 dollars 40 dollars much much more expensive in australia and new zealand than they are in this country and you can always make the choice go to charity shops if you can't afford to buy books a full price from uh, independent or bookshops or chain bookshops just it's not that long till they start appearing in charity shops or indeed libraries yes absolutely (laughs) anyway that's our rant over for this week uh we'd like to thank you so much for for joining us again on the hopcast book show don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get it from on that platform and also don't forget to join us at our website www.hobeck.net where you can sign up for Crime Bites, which is a compilation of free content from a number of our great authors here at Hobeck. chance for you to be introduced to the, their worlds and their characters for free just by signing up to our email list. But uh, from Rebecca and I, thank you so much for listening, and we wish you a happy and creative week. You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.